Whoever is listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 48. Guys, as always, thank you so much for the support. You continue to pour onto the podcast. We are close to 3,100 listeners, and this community is growing and growing by the day. Thank you guys so much for that. So, we are finally here. College football week one is here. It's the episode how we're going to format this when we start to get to the NFL because you got Saturday college football, you got Sunday NFL. This was a unique week because there's so many games, so they had to condense into a weekend. You had Thursday games, you had Friday games, you had Saturday games, Sunday games. You had something for everybody this weekend. Defenses were flying around. You had shootouts like the Notre Dame-Florida State game. You had incredible stories, McKenzie Milton coming back. You had defensive showdowns. You had Penn State-Wisconsin, Clemson-Georgia. You had upsets, which would be Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Tulane almost taking down Oklahoma. You had really, everybody had something this weekend. College football is back. It really hasn't hit me yet that the sport is truly back, that football is in full motion, that we're ready, that we're going. So here's some things that I really want to hit, really want to touch base on for this podcast. I want to be able to cover some of the Bear games this weekend. I'm not going to get to every single one, obviously, because we'd be here for probably six, seven hours. I'm going to hit about six or seven really, really great games this weekend. I just want to highlight some thoughts and impressions. What to look out for next week, the atmosphere, my top four, and first two out. We'll do that every week. What I'm thinking is that Monday and Tuesday, I'll try to get out because there'll be a Monday night football game. We'll do today which is Monday, try to get it out Monday night, Monday afternoon, a college football podcast. Tuesday, get out an NFL podcast from the entire week because then you can include Monday night football into that. I could maybe squeeze in a Thursday night football reaction somewhere. You might see that on my Instagram at the MWP underscore. We'll do some reactions to the Thursday night game depending on how it goes. If there's something huge, we can come on here really quick and do an instant reaction type thing. Something really intimate, something really close. Kind of like I did with the Milwaukee Bucks game is just touch on the things that mattered and maybe compile into an episode. But for one game, we'll see if it's like one in seven Jacksonville versus two and six New York or something like that. I don't think that's really worth of an episode, so we'll just see how it goes. But anyways, college football is back. Week one, it was quite quite, quite the week. So my voice is going to sound probably a little shot. I was in Charlotte for the weekend for the game unbelievable atmosphere. I just want to touch on that first with college football. It is strange. It's scary. It's all the emotions you want to put in there. Exciting that we have fans in the stands again for college football. Thousands of people just flooding stadiums, ready to cheer on their team. Incredible. It was emotional. It's been a long time coming since 2020. It's been a hell of a long year and a half with this whole COVID thing. We are excited. I think fans are excited. I think the games have more value, more storylines. You can have bigger plays have bigger meaning. You have players really stand out with the crowd. You have players that perform under that kind of pressure. You had Florida State last night going crazy over McKenzie Milton's return. We'll get into that much later down the line, but it makes for more storylines. The consequences seem much larger. The overall scope of college football feels a lot bigger when there's fans in the stands. The fans really truly make the game and that just is something I want to point out right away. It was unbelievable. And seeing it in person too, everybody can be everybody together. 
Everybody bunched up again, making friends, high-fiving random strangers. You had people that were a little hesitant to high-five. I think I had that. I turned around after we hit a field goal, and the guy was probably because he was holding his beer, but he was a little hesitant to high-five. The other guy was like, yeah, give me a big high-five. Hand kind of hurt afterwards. was not really expecting it, but it was just great. I loved it. Cannot wait for next week. We'll talk about what to look out for then. So for now, we're just going to go over the games, just what I saw, what I was impressed with. I want to start with Ohio State and Minnesota, the Thursday night kickoff. Probably one of the better games of the weekend. Ohio State beat Minnesota 45-31. to And for me, this is the year, it's a very weird year for Ryan Day. Because this is the to- first time that, while he had Justin Fields for two years, they made the playoffs both times, made the national championship last year. How does he build his program when the people that he started with start to take off? Justin Fields, you had Trey Sermon, who was a standout last year, take off. You had the receiving core still intact, some defensive guys. I was asking my friends, do you recognize this Ohio State defense at all? There's not really, there's not a Chase Young, there's not a Sean Wade or a just other fantastic players that usually are bound for the NFL. This is Ryan's, Ryan Day's year to prove that he can carry over what he started, the post-Justin Fields era. This is a new face team, C.J. Stroud. Let's talk about him for a second. He started a little shaky, and I think that's what allowed Minnesota to stay in the game. Especially Minnesota, they're not going to put up 45 points a game. It allowed him, his performance at first was very first starter type deal, and I think we'll touch on that with DJ when we talk about the Clemson game, is that some of these guys, this is their first time starting, where it's their team, the pressure's on, it's all in your face, it's all coming at you, it's insanity. He looked good, though. I think as the game progressed, and I think what you want to say about Ryan Day really making the offense work for him, a lot of rollouts, a lot of design plays to get him comfortable, get him going, a lot of hitches, a lot of screens, consistent with the run game, which was really nice to see. I think that we're really going to have Ohio State challenge for the playoff spot again. I think for Minnesota, on the other end, they looked really, really good. Tanner Morgan... Muhammad Ibrahim, which that's going to be a tough loss. I don't, I think he might have torn his Achilles. I'm not sure. I was looking at like, how did they, I saw the first article, how do you replace him? So I'm assuming he's going to be out for a good bit of time. They looked great. Minnesota was getting pressure. Minnesota was competing. It looked like the 2019 team that won 10 games and beat Auburn in, I believe it was the Outback Bowl. That was Bo Nix's freshman year. I want to say this was the year before everything went to just, Stuff hit the fan. You know what I mean. But it was a great first start. It really, Minnesota, it was a typical Big Ten atmosphere in terms of weather and fans. Everyone was really great, loud, energetic. It was a little bit rough on the weather side. It was raining, I think, the entire time, which made, I think, Minnesota benefit a little bit more because they were able to control the ball, run it. I think that's their game plan moving forward. They got a great offensive line. Tanner Morgan doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He looks good with the ball. He makes good decisions. If Minnesota can be like that, I think they'll challenge anybody in the Big Ten. Ohio State is going to have the road for them. They're going to have their work cut out for them. But I think Ryan Day has got this team right where they need to be. And I think he's a hell of a coach, hell of a play caller. I think he proved a lot last night with or Thursday night. By Many people would view that as an inferior opponent, but they were able to overcome adversity, calm their freshman quarterback down, and get things rolling to start off 1-0. All right, so Friday night was Virginia Tech and North Carolina. This was the first real upset of the college season. 
Virginia Tech beat North Carolina 17-10. Huge opener for VT. And want to touch back on that atmosphere look is enter Sandman for Virginia Tech. I remember it was 2017. Kelly Bryant travels to Virginia Tech with Clemson. And that Clemson team was a playoff team. But that inner Sandman thing, even if Virginia Tech was awful, you're kind of like, oh my god, this is going to be crazy. It's one of those traditions that finally got to come back and finally got, you got to see what it was really like. It's like you almost forgot. You had to be reminded this weekend of who was big, who were the stars, who were the traditions. We'll get to see 25 seconds, most exciting 25 seconds of college football with Clemson. You'll get to see, uh, you'll see I think Bama might have a home game, but I'm not sure. I'll have to look at that schedule. But each year, I think we keep getting off track, but there's so many storylines and topics to touch on. So each game might bring up something different, which is great because you'll have something to listen to. What is North Carolina going to be this year? Last year for North Carolina, I feel like it was more of the same. It was playoff hype, challenging Clemson hype, national championship hype, and it feels like North Carolina lets down every so often. Mac Brown is a fantastic coach. Hall of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame for sure. But it looked like they were out of answers for a Virginia Tech team that they probably should have had no problem with, especially week one. You got all your stuff together. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's ready to go out there and prove it. It's a very, very tough road game, especially for a Virginia Tech team that was able to get consistent pressure with four guys. Sam Howell looked lost. He was making really poor decisions with the football. I think that North Carolina is going to have to figure out who they are. If they're going to want to challenge Clemson for the ACC, obviously the playoff is going to be a really, really big long shot, especially for anyone in the ACC now. Maybe if Notre Dame was still in there, that'd be something interesting. We'll talk about them later. But I think Virginia Tech, and especially Florida State after last night, they'll be looking to challenge the status quo in the ACC. Because Clemson looked vulnerable on Saturday night. Now, we're going to talk about what's an overreaction and what's not with that Clemson game because, boy, there were a lot of stuff that was overreacting. It was a really good game. It was really, you get the best of any everything. You get the best of both worlds of shootout. You get defensive slugfests. You got that with Virginia Tech, North Carolina. They were able to control the clock. They were able to play fantastic defense. They played really great defense in the secondary. They are making a lot of 50-50 balls go their way. They were shutting North Carolina down on third down, getting off the field and controlling the clock. It was a lot of fun to watch. Usually defensive games, people point to the Rams and the Patriots, Super Bowl 53. Everyone was like, God, that was so boring. But I think that it shows who the coaches, like how you adapt to that kind of adversity, especially a team in North Carolina that wants to score a lot of points. Heisman favorite and Sam Howell, NFL draft favorite and Sam Howell. They want to score a lot of points, but... They're not really putting it all together. How do they respond to that adversity? How do they create new plays? What styles can they adapt to? It's something that I really love to watch and see, just to see how they overcome that adversity. And when they do, it's really satisfying as a football fan because you too are trying to figure out, well, if they did this, if they did that, well, maybe if they rolled them out this way or maybe they had a receiver run a certain route, it's really great to see how they overcome that specific adversity. And I really enjoyed Virginia Tech, North Carolina. It was one of my favorite games this weekend. So we're going to move on to the blowout of the weekend that we're going to cover. Miami versus Alabama. I wrote down the first thing I said. Should we have expected anything different? I think we've seen this story with Alabama. You have them schedule a really an opponent where people feel like, okay, they have, they have some momentum going in there. 
maybe they can challenge Alabama. This is a new roster without Mac Jones or Devonta Smith. Uh, you, as usual, Alabama has a bunch of people go to the NFL, and they blow the brakes off the top, a top 15 team in the country who people thought, okay, they got a shot going in here. You had Paul Feinbaum put on the Miami chain. Whether he picked them, I doubt that, but he looked like they were going to give him some time. Bryce Young broke the, of course, in typical Bama fashion, broke records on records as a first-time starter in yards and touchdowns. I think what you need to look for for Alabama if you're going to watch their offense this year is how they continue to have that same style with Matt Jones and what Matt Jones and Devonta Smith had. I think Mechie, John Mechie for Alabama, will have the same chemistry and rapport with uh, Bryce Young. They're going to look to stretch the field. They're going to have great, great running back room. They're going to be able to run down your throat. They're going to be able to take it off the top of the defense. I think a lot of play action, see some posts, some fades over the defense. I think that Nick Saban, of course, was able to shut down Derrick King, who is really a great quarterback, will be one of the better Miami QBs when it's all said and done. A winner at Miami has a lot, a lot of experience, but they just looked lost, and it looked like Alabama was miles ahead of them. It looked really ugly. And not to say that Miami's a terrible football team, it's just Alabama's on another level. So a lot of people would say that they would take Alabama over the field, over in Oklahoma, who looked really rough against Tulane. I think it was a rough weekend for Heisman favorites, because I don't know if Bryce Young was necessarily a, a top favorite. I mean, JT Daniels had a rough game, who was a Heisman favorite. DJ Uyunglele had a rough game. Sam Howell had a rough game. Rattler took a shot. I think he was fine. It was just the Tulane game is going to look tough on that resume. So the door is open for someone like Bryce Young to be an Alabama Heisman favorite. Maybe Mechie too. Chris Olave. There's a lot of potential to see somebody different win the Heisman Trophy this year. Not one that we picked in the preseason. I think that was great. so great about Devonta Smith last year is that I don't think he was a Heisman favorite going in. And so to see him improve and see him dominate was great. So I'm looking forward to see who takes that next step where the door is pretty much wide open in my eyes if I was a Heisman voter. All right, we're going to take a short break. When I return, we are going to talk about LSU-UCLA. Big win for Chip Kelly. Not great for Ed. The games, Clemson-Georgia, FSU-Notre Dame, and what to look for next week, plus my top four and first out after week one. This is the Man with the Plane podcast, and we'll be right back. And we are back. Man, oh man, the college football season is underway. So many great things. You skip to here to listen to my complaining about Clemson, Georgia. You're in for it very soon. We're going to talk UCLA, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, FSU, Notre Dame, what to look for in week two in my top four and first two out following week one. So I know you're all looking forward to Clemson, Georgia, but I'm going to talk about LSU, UCLA very quickly, and then we'll get into the uh, the sadness that was the Clemson-Georgia game. But first, UCLA, LSU, major win for UCLA. Did not expect this. It was a did not see that one coming. LSU falls to UCLA 37-28. Shock. It was, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for Chip Kelly. A team that has not been very good since he's taken over is putting it all together, and they were dominant. I know the score is 38-27, but they outgained LSU 
by a lot. I don't have the exact number. They ran the ball for two, almost over 200 yards for an SEC team that two years ago was winning national championships and competing for New Year's Six Bowls. I want to talk about Ed Orgeron for a second. I think that if this year does not go well, or LSU starts like 1-3, and 1-4, I think you could start hearing rumblings of Ed Orgeron getting fired. I think that the honeymoon phase for the national championship is very much over. And unless they have some big upset, they beat an Alabama, they beat a Georgia, they beat, I don't know who's exactly on their schedule, but if they have a couple big wins, I think Orgeron could stay on the ship for maybe a little longer, but it seems very evident that this team is definitely not what it was. It's not getting better since the 2020 season with the national championship win in January. I keep saying 2020 because the national championship game was in 2020, but it was more 2019, but... For me, it's been that Joe Brady, when he came in, he designed such an offense for Burrow that they became virtually unstoppable. He's on the Panthers now. Have they been able to pick up any steam since? They've been able to put points on the board, but that opener against Mississippi State last year. They beat Florida, which was nice, but they finished under 500. There's a lot of question marks for LSU. Ed Ordron's a great personality. I freaking love that guy, even though he beat Clemson. Loves his university, loves his team. Go Tigers, as he says. I, that was a terrible impression. I'm so sorry. For all you LSU fans out there that'll just listen to that and want to turn it off, I understand. But I think that LSU's got to look at themselves. You're going to use the cliche. they got to look at themselves in the mirror and figure it out. Because it's a tough year, tough conference. There's a lot of good teams and a lot of good players. Does LSU have what it takes to pick it back up and make a run for the SEC? We'll see, because Ed Orderon's job is on the line. Okay, the one you've all been waiting for, I don't even need the drum roll thing. We're going to talk about Clemson, Georgia. I want to start by talking about how amazing the game was, like the experience. The stadium is freaking awesome. The fans there, the atmosphere, the fan. Ugh, I could go on and on and on about how great it was to have 70,000 people no masks, no worrying about COVID. There was no, it felt like we were back. It felt like we were back in time. It was like we were in 2019 and that everything could be normal for three and a half hours and we could just focus on a football game. It was great. I loved it. It was so much fun. The game, however, <laughs> was not so much. So it was a defensive struggle. It was one of those classic just big. It felt like a Big Ten game where they were trying to just get the edge over each other. It was a field position battle. Both teams were going at it, struggling to move the ball. It was a defensive struggle. Man, I'm going to keep saying that. So let's first talk about the difference between a good criticism and an overreaction. An overreaction would be, is this beginning of the end for Clemson football? And legitimate headline that I saw. Or... Dabo is not a good coach, or DJ Uyungle sucks and needs to be benched, stuff like that. I've seen it all. Let's go through how this game, and just overall in general, how this game was formatted. You had two top five defenses, who both are going to compete for the playoff. Clemson's not definitely out of it. You've got two, probably the best defensive lines in the country. You had Nolan Smith back, who was one of the, arguably the best player in the country two years ago was getting pressure on DJ all night. Georgia was bringing five or six. You had on the other side, Miles Murphy, Brian Brzee, 
Jordan Williams, a combination. Clemson's defensive line might be the best in the country. It might be Georgia's. So both QBs are under, under unbelievable duress all night. And if it weren't for that pick six, which we'll talk about in a second, I think the game's 3-3 and going to overtime. And it might be a 6-3 finish. And we might be going, one team survived and the other team was just unfortunately on the other side of it. For the Clemson offense, it was very, very much a just field position battle to start. They were starting at their 10, at their 2, struggling to get the ball out of the end zone. I think for DJ, it was something that you just had to figure out as you go. This is the first time it was his team. Last year, there was no real consequence if he lost, so he'd kind of sling it and just do whatever he wanted. Because if you lose to Notre Dame, you're kind of like, all right, Trevor's back. It's his team. You did what you could. You're just the freshman QB coming in. It was all on him. And to start against one of the better defenses in the country, if not the best, it's a tough challenge for anybody. I think that Clemson's clearly capable of putting all the pieces together. They're going to have to run the ball more efficiently. I think that they're going to have to design some stuff to get the ball out of DJ's hands quicker. I think for him, it's all about seeing the field, making the right reads. I think Tony Elliott's perfectly capable of designing an offense for DJ. I am surprised they didn't run him out more or use his size like a Cam Newton-esque and just bulldoze people. They did it once, and it got like a five-yard gain, but it was also then third and ten, so they were behind the sticks. For Clemson, it's going to be about getting yards on every play. They can't afford to do second 11, third and 12, because those routes need to develop, and the offensive line against a really good defensive team, like maybe a Virginia Tech, are they going to be able to protect DJ? There were seven sacks, and I think a couple of them you could argue that DJ need to get the ball, rid of the ball faster, but again, we do not need to overreact. Clemson will be fine. They have been in worse spots before. They're going to have, for the rest of the way, be favored heavily in almost every single game. I think that Clemson wins the ACC still. I think that they're on the outside looking in at the moment. But you could have a slip up. For all you Clemson fans out there, it's not the end of the world. You've been through much worse. And you've got tons of talent on that offensive side. Kobe Pace, Will Shipley, Justin Ross, Joseph Nangata. A lot, a lot of talent. The quarterback is much, much more capable than that. We've seen it in games, Boston College and Notre Dame against good teams. It's not like DJ was in against South Carolina State or the Citadel or you played Georgia Tech. These were capable teams. On the other side, it was a hell of a win for Kirby Smart. One, and we can we can reverse back to my, uh, the spring where I was very critical of Georgia, saying that Kirby Smart did not have what it took. I was thinking that this could be a year where he gets fired if he doesn't put it all together. We had uh, our guest, Lynn Vietrion, who told us that was quite the opposite. I think that we should listen, <laughs> to be quite frank with you. I think that they put it all together. They, had, they did what they needed to do. It reminded me of the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 53, where the offense struggled. JT Daniels was able to do what he, do what he had to do. He didn't have to make anything, do anything crazy, just make the throws when he needs to, make the right adjustments, the right calls. I think they had a perfect game plan, control the clock, and put pressure on Clemson's offense to make something happen. And when they were up 10-0, it, was, it felt like a chokehold. It felt like Georgia had complete control of the game. The pick six, we're going to talk about that now. Clemson was running a couple quick slant concepts to get the ball out of DJ's hands faster. And I think what happened is that Justin Ross gave up on the ball just a little bit, and the Georgia defender excellently came and picked it off. It reminded me of the Malcolm Butler play where he kind of jumped the route 
on a slant that probably should have been a little more effort put in on the receiver's end. DJ had it on a spot. He knew where he was going to go with the ball immediately before the it was a much of a timing route where he knew that his, his guy was going to be in a certain spot and Ross was not, and it turned away into six. And that ended up being the play that decided the game. I think that Georgia's got to put it all together now. They've got a pretty relatively easy schedule. If they can get by Florida and Auburn, two teams that aren't necessarily powerhouses, they could very much, very much well be 12-0 going into that SEC championship game and being a lock for the playoffs, whether they lose or not, because we're going to assume that Bama will come out on the other side, and it will be Georgia-Bama in the SEC championship game, and they could lose and be fine and be have two SEC teams in the playoff. This was a very consequential game. It almost felt like a playoff game where the, one of the teams that loses is on the outside looking in. Yeah, that's that. there it is. They're just hoping that somebody slips up. They're going to have to play their ball. They're going to have to do what they do. I think if Clemson goes 11-1, wins the ACC, hopefully they'll have a couple quality opponents moving forward, but I think it's going to be tough. Either way, I think we need to give Georgia a lot of credit, but we do not need to give up on Clemson just yet. Okay, we're going to move into our final game, Florida State-Notre Dame. I just want to talk about Mackenzie Milton. That was, I turned the game off. I figured Notre Dame was going to roll away with it. I think Florida State showed a lot of maturity last night. And they were down by a lot. And they were able to overcome that adversity. They didn't win the game. They took them into overtime with a top 10 team. A team that Florida State a couple years back would have probably fell under the pressure and really collapsed. I think they showed a lot of maturity. And I think it's they've looked as good as they have in a long time. Jack Cohn shocked me. I did not think he was a guy that was going to be able to put the ball down the field, make really tight throws. He was good. Four touchdowns, the one interception was off Hail Mary, won the game in overtime for his team. That's really a great sign for Notre Dame, a hostile environment in Florida State. Both teams are really probably going to be taking away from that game is, hey, we were in a dogfight and we came out of it. There's a lot of good to take away from, a lot of bad. Brian Kelly wants to execute the entire team, but that's beyond me. But we're going to finish that game thought talking about Mackenzie Milton. So Jordan Travis, the FSU QB's helmet comes off. And who else steps in but Mackenzie freaking Milton? If you don't know who that is, you I don't necessarily recommend you look this up, but the had he had an Alex Smith-like injury in 2018 playing for UCF against South Florida. I remember watching that live, and it was a pretty nasty, gruesome injury. Doctors said that he probably was going to walk in pain for the rest of his life. No way in hell he plays football. But there he is defying the odds. We got to get an ESPN 30 for 30 for it. We're going to at some point. Comes in, makes two incredible third down throws. Leads two two scoring drives to tie up the game to take it to overtime. And looked really calm. Looked like he's been there before. Like he was at UCF. A Heisman favorite at UCF. It was so great. And it's just what college football is all about. Something that is just so great. Oh my gosh. It was such a great weekend. It was the perfect way to end the weekend. With a team that no one really was counting to do anything. Made probably one of the biggest stories of the year. It'll be an SB thing. It'll be in college football trailers for the national championship to recap the year. Something really great. And it was really, really fun to watch. It rem- That was when I figured out college football is back. This is what we've been waiting for. Just an unbelievable performance. I hope FSU 
place him a little bit more because I'd love to see him continue to get better, try to make that NFL squad maybe next year. That'd be fun to watch. Okay, final two things. What are we looking for next week? College football week two, we got Oregon, Ohio State. They're going to be, I think this was a game that was supposed to be last year. And they end up working it out to be able to play it in 2021. That'll be really fun to watch. Look out for Rutgers going 2-0. and They play, I, I don't know, God, I've had the, had, I saw it earlier, but I, they beat the brakes off a of temple. That was fun. How does Clemson respond? I know that they're going to play SC State, so they're probably going to blow the blow the freaking brakes off of them. But I want to see how they respond. How do their how does their energy look? How does their body language? How do they convey to the fans it's going to be all right after a loss? Iowa State Iowa that's going to be a dogfight. Really something fun to watch. I think you should really stay tuned for that when that's going to be the game day game. That should be great. App State Miami that's going to be a sneaky game to watch because Miami how do they respond after a rough blowout Alabama? A really tough team that is really capable of upsetting Miami with Chase Bryce. Texas, Arkansas. Another one. I think Arkansas is a sneaky good team this year. How does Texas continue to be consistent, put it all together under their new coach, Sarkeesian? Okay, before we wrap up the show, I want to do my top four. It's like the playoff, like how we do it. And then my first two out. So at number one, I have Bama, obviously. Number two, I have Georgia. After a strong performance, I think they're going to be one and two probably for the rest of the year. At number three, I have Ohio State. After a strong performance against a pretty good Minnesota team, I think they leapfrog Oklahoma at four. At five, I have Clemson. I think that that's the right spot for them, either five or six. And then at six, I have A&M. So Clemson is just looking outside of that top four spot. If Oklahoma were to slip up and lose a game or Ohio State, I think Clemson could easily slip in. If they continue to look impressive as the season progresses, I think that Clemson fans don't need to worry. But we'll see. It's a long season. It's only one only one week. We're going to continue to keep doing this. It's going to be fun. All right. That was the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 48, all college football. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I cannot wait for the NFL season to start this Thursday. My early prediction, the Buccaneers take it in two scores especially with the news that Zach Martin is out with COVID. Ooh, Cowboys fans, get ready for a long night. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time. Take care.